Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Welcome, felons, friends, and freedom lovers. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Felony Friday on the Lions of Liberty podcast. For our first-time listeners, this is the show that we really have two different missions on this show. First of all, we strive to expose injustice in the broken criminal justice system. And another thing we do is we interview successful individuals who have personally experienced the broken criminal justice system firsthand and have come out on the other side to find success. Today, we have a guest who will be sharing a story of success after prison. But before I introduce my guest, I just want to let you all know where you can find the show notes for today's show. You can find them at lionsofliberty.com FF21. My guest today is Cost Marte. Cost developed a unique and effective exercise program without the need for any equipment while he was doing time in prison. While he was serving his sentence in his 9x6 prison cell, Cost lost more than 70 pounds in just six months. From this experience, Cost crafted a fitness program combining cardiovascular, aerobic, and running exercises. He began to focus on his, fit, on his own fitness first and then began teaching others how to do the same. Upon his release from prison... And with guidance, with help from Defy Ventures, an organization that helps the formerly incarcerated become entrepreneurs, he was able to form his own successful company, Conbody.com. Koss, welcome to Felony Friday. Thank you, John. We appreciate it. Koss, it's awesome to have you here. And I'm really excited for the Felony Friday audience to get to hear your story, to get to hear your whole story from the beginning, from your time in prison, and how you worked your way through that. Yeah. Forming this successful company. You know, let's start off at the beginning mm-hmm. and talk about where you grew up and uh, your start early in life. So where'd you grow up, Cuz? Yeah, so I grew up in uh, New York, in the Lower East Side, uh, 80s, 90s, very drug-infested neighborhood at, at that time. You know, my mom immigrated from the Dominican Republic when she was six months pregnant with me. And uh, three months later, I was an uh, anchor baby, first American-born citizen in my family. So what was your childhood like? You said that you were surrounded by drugs. At what age did you first see drugs or have any you know, interaction with drugs? I don't know. I was a kid. I mean, I've seen drugs ever since I could remember, like the early childhood memories when, you know, I would see people shooting up heroin in the building, dope needles everywhere. Or, like, you would walk to every two steps you take, you see some type of drug paraphernalia on the ground here. I even had one of my friends when we were rollerblading as kids. He fell on a heroin needle and he got hepatitis behind it. Wow. So at what age did you get involved in selling drugs yourself? I got involved in, well, smoking marijuana and dealing with the drug world at the age of 11, but dealing, hustling on the street at 13. At 13. So how many years were you selling drugs for before you were arrested and then convicted? Well, I got got arrested. As soon as I started selling drugs at 13, but I've been in and out of jail since I was 13, from the ages of 13 to 23. I have three felonies on my record, and at 23 is when I had a major case. What are your uh, your three felonies for? All drug offenses, the A felony, B felony, and a C felony. I went through the whole alphabet. Yeah, all drug possession, sales things of that nature. And you said at, at the age of 23, that's when you had your major conviction? Yeah, I had my major conviction at 23, yep. 
Can you just take us through real quickly what happened there, the, the arrest, and then the conviction? Yeah, so at 23, first of all, like by the age of 19, I was making over $2 million a year. And I, I began running this, like, I changed the way people sold drugs in my neighborhood. People, before I gave them the idea of, like, changing up in suits and, and driving expensive vehicles and coming up with business cards to make a delivery service, people were just hanging on the corner, sitting on milk crates and just hustling cocaine and crack or heroin, whatever they were hustling. And that's how I started. But I visualized that, well, I, I learned out of the experiences that I went through from being incarcerated at a very young, early age, that people were stopping, police were stopping me because of the way I looked. I was wearing, you know, a big white t-shirt, long, you know, baggy jeans with a hat, and my hat was turned back and sneakers, and I fit the profile that they were looking for. So uh, I basically told the guys that was uh, hustling with me and working for me at that time, you know, let's change. So I took them all to dress up and I bought them all clothes and we bought slacks and t-shirts and ties and uh, wore business suits. And we stopped getting stopped. Cops didn't mess with us. They thought we were just like doing some legit work. We were driving around in expensive vehicles, $100,000 vehicles. And we created this like delivery service that grew out to be one of the largest drug delivery services in New York. That's a little bit surprising that you know driving around the expensive cars and you know wearing expensive clothes. You would think that would draw a little attention, yeah. but I guess the the cops were profiling, looking for a certain thing, and you just you know kind of jumped outside of what they were looking for. Yeah, and we we stopped hanging out in the corner. We stopped like posting up. Everything was basically done by delivery at that point. It was like the Uber of two thousand three four. You were Uber before Uber. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. With flip phones. <laughs> How did you end up getting caught then? So uh, I got caught with one of my, so I basically grew so big that we need a sub cell phones to operate out of because each phone only held 1500 numbers. And this was when we had flip phones. So I couldn't handle all the calls. I had just overwhelming demand and I hired a dispatcher. That dispatcher basically, you know, was handling all the operations during the day and night. And he decided to go behind my back and steal customers away from me. He started a new phone line and then eventually clientels that were like early adopters who bought drugs for me at, and from the beginning had my personal number and called me and was and complained and told me that, you know, the stuff that this guy's giving out, it's not the same, you know, it's, he's giving out trash is, you know, what's going on. So basically I looked into it and I found out that he was like trying to steal customers using his own work. And then I found out about this new number and I basically shut all the phone lines and took the phones away and I started doing my thing. But while he was operating the phones, he got involved with, dealing with a federal agent that he had no idea that he was selling to a direct federal agent with his new phone. And when I took that phone away from him, that phone was tapped. And then I kept sending my workers on that phone. And we made around 40 sales, direct sales to federal agents. And when they came right at me, they found me with a kilo and a half and tons of money and my cars and my house. And yeah, it went down. After you're caught, after you're arrested, and you find out that you're going to prison costs, what was your attitude when you entered prison when you were 23? 
I mean, at, at 23, I said, like, F everything. I don't know if I could curse, but I didn't say you can. I said, fuck, <laughs> fuck everything. I, you know, I basically gave up and I was facing 15 life with the kingpin laws. They tried to charge me as a kingpin, didn't stick. And then I was facing 12 to 24 years. And I, I know I was going to be doing a lot of time. And when they took me to that precinct for the first day and they arrested me, they basically said, are you going to talk and tell us more information? And I told them, like, go F yourself. And I'm not saying anything. And let all my guys that got in, locked up with me go. And I'll do the whole 24 years you're offering me right now. Yeah. I didn't care. I was like, I started this. I want to take full responsibility. I don't want to you know, damage anybody's life. You know, I created this monster and I want to just like, I want to be responsible for it. So I try to take responsibility for it. Obviously, you know, they, they can't, these guys like made direct sales. So they got locked up too. Anyway, we went in the system and I already knew the routine. You know, it was, you get your green cup, you know, Rikers Island, get your bed sheets, you know, get your commissary, I was hustling in there right off the back. I was getting weed sent and through visit rooms and smoking and hustling in there and still operating the drug business through phones in there. The hustle didn't stop. Eventually fighting the case for about a year in Rikers Island, I was sentenced to seven years in prison. I go upstate and this is when I went upstate, this is when I found out that I had severe cholesterol issues. My cholesterol was so high that I could have died in prison within five years of a heart attack. And I was sentenced to seven years, so I said I was not going to die in prison. You're 23 years old at this time, and they're telling you your cholesterol is so high you could die. Yeah, I was uh, 24 when I got up. That's when I went upstate. Yeah, and they told me that. And that woke me up a little bit. It woke me up not – it didn't change my life, but it woke me up to start moving and not to die. And I began moving and I said I was going to make this happen. And I began running the prison yard. People used to call me Fat Forrest Gump and make fun of me in the yard. And, you know, it was just crazy. And then I go back to my cell and then work out more on my cell. Eventually, I lost 70 pounds in, in six months. Did you have any background? Like when you were growing up younger, did you play sports? Did you work out then? Or what yeah. did you base your workout routine on? Yeah, so I, I based my workout routine on a variety of things, things that I did growing up as a, I played a lot of baseball, played a little bit of soccer, um, basketball. I mean, I was pretty athletic as a kid. I really got overweight when uh, my ex-wife was pregnant, and that was when I was released from prison in 2006. And then while I was in and out of jail, you know, I was always working out of jail just because that's that's the thing to do. And I basically took a lot of exercise routines that I learned throughout the years that I was locked up. In addition, I went to this program called Shock. When I was 19 to 20, this program basically is like ran by ex-Marines turned correctional officers. So they beat the shit out of you. And once you complete the program, you save like two years of your prison time. So I did that program and I took exercises and routines from there also. When you lost 70 pounds over a pretty short period of time, I think you said six months. Did other inmates uh, start to notice you're losing a lot of weight? Did they start asking you for advice on how you're working out or anything? Actually, no. I I helped over 20 guys lose over 1,000 pounds combined. But it all started with one guy 
who basically approached me and was, you know, he was pretty overweight. And he said, yeah, I want to work out with you. I, I want to run the yard because nobody was running the yard. And I was like, let's do it. And I, I basically told him, like, yeah, I used to look like you. And he came in after. He didn't see how I was before. So I showed him my prison ID. And he saw that was like my proof of my before and after. And he was like, get the hell out of here. He didn't believe that was me. And then we began running the yard. And then eventually I got a more group, a larger group to start running with me. And, and we started doing exercises together in the yard. So at what point were you still in prison when you started to have your vision? Or I guess when you started to decide that you wanted to, you know, after you got out of prison, you wanted to start this business. Did you realize that in prison or, or how did that come about after you were released? Yeah. So the idea of Combody came while I was in prison. Towards the end of my incarceration, I ended up in solitary confinement due to a situation that I got with an officer. He basically smacked me while he began searching me. And I turned around on him. And for those who don't know what the pin is, he pulled the pin. That means he pressed the alarm on his walkie-talkie, which means you need to just embrace for impact. As soon as he pressed that alarm, like 20 officers came on the spot, beat the crap out of me, and then took me to solitary confinement. I'm in a cell, and I'm devastated because I only had two months to go home. And now, because of this issue and the ticket that I was facing, I had another year to face in prison. So I was asking myself, like, why did this happen to me? Like, I was about to go home. My family was waiting for me, and now I got to, like, deal with the situation. So I wrote out this 10-page letter out to my family letting them know I messed up, I'm not coming home, you know, forget about me, whatever. And I enclosed this letter, and then I realized I didn't even have a stamp to send out this letter with, you know, because they took everything away from me. So I'm even more devastated that I had no type of, you know, means of communication with the people that could probably help me out in this situation. And my sister, who's like Mother Teresa's child, like super religious, she writes me and, and tells me to read Psalm 91 from the Bible. When I read that letter, I, I took that letter and just tossed it to the side. I was like, whatever, I'm, that's a waste of time. You know, I don't want to deal with that. And after sitting in a cell for a couple of days, 24-hour lockdown, which is illegal, and, you know, they didn't even give me rec time, I decided to open up the Bible, which was the only thing that I had in my prison cell. And I turned to the pages that she told me to uh, turn to, to Psalm 91. And I leaned back on my bed. And as soon as I start reading that Psalm 91 verse, a stamp fell out of my Bible. And it was the stamp that I needed to send out this 10-page letter with. Wow. And that re-ran chills through my body. And even so, every time I talk about it, it just brings back that, you know, that chill, those goosebumps. And I felt like there was something bigger than myself. I began realizing after reading, I read the Bible from front to back. And then I, I began realizing that what I was doing was really wrong. I never thought that selling drugs was wrong. I thought it was just a business. I was making money and you know, I was providing for my family with it. And then I began telling myself, like, how can I give back? How I, feel, I started feeling some type of regret for you know damaging not only my family's lives through the world of drugs but i began realizing that all the people that i sold drugs to like they had families too so i i created like this web of destruction and i wanted to take that back and 
I was thinking myself, like, you know, the way I could get back is the way that I'm, the things that I'm doing in the prison yard. And I said I was going to come up with this prison-style boot camp, and I was going to have people do it with me in the park and eventually get, you know, open up a gym and hire as many former incarcerated and get these guys in the group and just build this whole team. So in my cell, I basically took the side of my Bible and this, this sheet of paper. They give you like these legal sized white paper in the box. And I took the side of the Bible and I made lines and I started drafting out every single routine that I was going to do every day of the week when I came out. And I came out of that cell and I was brought to, um, you know, I had a bunkie. And as soon as I see my bunkie coming out of that cell and I get to the dorm area, you know, I see my bunkie reading the Bible and I'm like, oh, snap. Like, you know, I, I got a great story and I tell my story and then he starts looking at me crazy. He was like, yo, you came out of the box. You OK? <laughs> so I was like, I'm not telling anybody this story ever again. But I told people about like the business that I wanted to create in this ASAD group. ASAD is Alcohol Substance Abuse Treatment Program in New York State. Everybody, mostly everybody's required to take the six months drug program inside. So in this program, they ask you, you know, what are you going to do when you come home? So I start telling these guys, oh, I'm going to start this team, you know, get down. I'm going to start a prison style boot camp. And people start laughing, and some guys is like, "Yo, you're crazy. This is not gonna work." And I was like, "Well, you don't know me. I started from, you know, selling drugs on a milk crate, you know, making a couple dollars a day to, you know, multi-million dollar drug business. Like, I know how to grow this out." Came home, and the day I woke up, I went back. I went to the park across the street. You know, I went back to the same neighborhood because I was paroled to my mom's house. You know, slept on her couch for about a year, and. At this moment, I was waking up at 5.30 in the morning, and I took this, like, there was no pillow bar in the park. So I took this broken piece of pipe and stuck it between fences, and I began doing, you know, pillow bar training there. And then I started going up to people and telling them, like, this is what we're doing here. And some people looked at me crazy, especially the people that lived in the neighborhood. You would just go, just see somebody, just go up to them randomly and just yeah, you know, sp- ask them if they wanted to work out? Especially or? girls with yoga pants. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's what I was doing. I would see anybody with workout clothes and I'd be like, hey, what's up? You know, I'm starting this thing. I'm doing this thing. And then eventually I grew out a huge following. From there, I went from the park to renting out studios. And from studios, I, it started to get so, so overwhelming that we needed to hire more people. Let's just backtrack for a second. I just want to get to the point. So you started gathering up people, you know, having these uh, boot camp classes. How did you first start, you know, making a sale there, making money? Did you start charging right away? Was it free at first or how'd you do that? So I eventually it was free at first. I didn't know what price point that I was going to charge. I didn't know what I was really doing in, in terms of I didn't have a business plan set out yet. I just had an idea that I was just running with. And I got my, actually my first customer by mistake. You know, I had that pipe on a park and I was training about five people. Some people were like, just giving me money, like 20 bucks. And I was training them, whatever. But I got my like first row, like monthly client. This random guy just ran up to the bar and started trying to do pull-ups on the bar. And then I, as a joke, I told him, you have to pay me for that. What are you doing? (laughs) So... 
he was like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, how much does it cost? And I didn't have like a price point. And I told him, I just said $200. And he said $200 a month for like, you know, semi-private sessions. And like, you know, he's like, that sounds great. You know, I want to know how to do pull-ups. And I was like, all right, yeah, let's do this. You know, and uh, I walked him to the ATM right away and we closed out a deal. And that's awesome. Yeah, because that's the first hurdle a lot of entrepreneurs have to overcome is actually asking for that sale and making that sale. Yeah. And the guy just, you know, he just pretty much made it easy for you. That's that's a great story. Yeah, yeah, I was, I guess, lucky. How do you start to scale this up over time? I, I interrupted you before when you were talking about that. Yeah, so after we get, I started beginning, you know, renting out studios because it, it started getting cold in the park. And I was like, damn, I don't know what to do now so i started i like went to a local ymca and said if i could like rent out a room there and they basically said no and then i started going out to the other places and other places started telling me no until i found one spot on 440 off yet and i started renting a studio there it just got so packed and so crowded that i couldn't handle it myself so I got involved with uh, one of my trainers who basically came out of jail, did 14 years in prison. And I asked him, he was already like doing his own thing in the park. Um, same a basic story as me. Like he was training like two or three people in the park. And I told him, oh, you want to really get involved with this? It all happened in my day job. So in my day job, I was a resume writer. And I was uh, actually constructing resumes for people that were on public assistance trying to find employment. And this guy, he just did 14 years. He was like a month, two months home. And he told me that his prison story, he told me he wants to tailor his resume to be a personal training group fitness instructor. And I was like, you should definitely check out what I'm doing. And it basically like fell into my lap again where, you know, I had... You know, I needed another person's assistance and it just came all together. And then we started getting more people involved. But that was basically like my first hire there. To what do you attribute? You said it just started growing like crazy and, you know, you had to start running out space. To what do you attribute that growth to? Were you doing any marketing or? I was just doing a lot of guerrilla marketing. I was doing the same marketing that I was doing while I was selling drugs. When I was selling drugs, I, I made 10,000 business cards. I went up to random people and, you know, try to sell them marijuana for marijuana. I was like, yeah, you know, I also have a 24-hour cocaine delivery service. And then it just grew like crazy. I used the same transferable skills that I learned from the streets. That's really cool. So tell us a little bit about the five ventures and how you came to came into contact with them, first of all, and, and what they did for you, how they helped you out. Yeah, so the five ventures had a huge, uh, major part in my growth and coming home and starting my business. Yeah, I, I had this idea. I heard about the five ventures through another nonprofit organization that I was involved with called Career Gear. And then I was in this program and they started doing workshops there and somebody from the five ventures comes in and starts trying to recruit people to join their program and they'd say you know there's this we have this entrepreneur program we invest in entrepreneurs you can gain up to a hundred thousand dollars and in funding with us to provide for your business idea and once i heard that i like my light bulb just like went you know 
crazy and I signed up for it right away. From there, I fully took advantage of this program. So the five ventures, they believe that illegal entrepreneurs could become legal entrepreneurs. So they recruit like the best drug dealers, gang leaders they can find and try to transfer their skills to uh, legal businesses. I took full advantage of that, gained uh, tons of mentors. And from there, I you know went step by step and took advantage of these mentors they coached me, helped me build my business plan, and I started winning business plan competitions within the five ventures. I uh, gained about $10,000 in funding from them, used that to launch and start the business. The five ventures, it's a really cool organization. I first heard of them back, uh, the founder, I think her name is Catherine Hook. Hope. I don't know if I'm saying yep. Is it Hook? Okay. I heard her on uh, John Lee Dumas's podcast, Entrepreneur on Fire, probably about a year ago, maybe a little more than that, and heard about uh, what they're doing. And it really is incredible, and it's so so outside the box. I mean, you have people like yourself that you just show these, you know, just incredible entrepreneurial skills, but it was, you know, on the black market and illegal. Um, and then, obviously, if you can do it illegally, you can do the same thing legally. So I, I just think it's such a cool system. We talk about a lot on this show about the injustice of the drug war. I mean, it definitely is injustice. You know, I personally, and I think a lot of our listeners, I know a lot of our listeners, don't agree that you should be locked up for selling someone a substance that they, you know, a consensual transaction. But at the same time, you know, at the time you're doing it, you know the risk you're taking, and you know that it's illegal. That's why you're making money doing it because of that, because of the value on the black market. But it's just really cool that uh, you know people out there are helping. People that have you know, suffered through the injustice of the criminal justice system, helping them transition to the other side. So that's really cool. One more question I wanted to ask you about. If you could give someone advice, either someone who is you know, about to go into prison or maybe they're in prison right now or even just got out of prison, how best can they set themselves up, do you think, for success in entrepreneurial venture or another business venture upon their release? You know, the advice I give is that we as like guys who's been on the street and love the instant gratification, you know, I I used to love the fact that I could just like take this product and give it to you and I have the money right in my pocket. It's not the same when you're starting a business. It's an investment and investments take not only money, but a lot of time. But most importantly, the value of it, it's way bigger than just, you know, making a lot of money in, in the drug game. And I've, I've had people like tell me stories like when I was growing up and trying to give me speeches and I tell them, you know, fuck off, like I don't give a fuck and whatever. And I was just a hardhead and I thought everything was BS. But there's no real billionaire who's a drug dealer right now. The real billionaires are the people that's doing it legally. So if you really want to make money, do it legally and at the end it's totally worth it it's totally worth it it's not only affecting you you know positively financially but also the people around you are going to be so affected you know so affected by doing well and my family sees me as a different person which is the most important thing yeah, it's pretty incredible. And you're helping all of these people through Con Body to get healthy to change their lives. Yeah. So that's that's an awesome story. How can uh, the Felony Friday listeners, how can they find Con Body? How can they find you to learn more about you? 
and reach out to ask you any questions. Yeah, so you can contact us, our website, combody.com. That's C-O-N-B-O-D-Y.com. Or send us an email at info at combody.com. Uh, if you want to give us a call directly, it's 347-251-0423. Again, that's 347-251-0423. Thank you. Koss, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much, John. I really appreciate it. Have a great you one. You too. Have a good day. That's a wrap for the show today, guys. You have to agree that Koss Marte's story is remarkable. And the work that Defy Ventures is doing to help illegal entrepreneurs like Koss Marte, who had much success in the illegal realm of drug dealing, to create legal hustles once they get released, this is important work. And this is so awesome that there is an organization out there willing to do this. Now, Cosmarte's story is very similar to other guests we've had here on Felony Friday. Michael Santos, the author Duncan, John Thomas, they all have many things in common with Cosmarte, but probably the most striking is that each one of these individuals first determined that they had to change themselves first. They had to make positive changes in their life. They had to change their mindset before they could have success, before they could realize their full capabilities. Guys, I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to thank the Felony Friday audience. You guys are the reason that I continue to make these shows. So please, if you like what you hear, then help us to grow the show. And the best way to help us to grow this show is to subscribe to get the show every single episode when it comes out, Monday, Wednesday, or Friday on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. And please leave us a rating and a comment as well. And also, please share the show. Share it on your social media, Facebook, Twitter. And remember to like the Lions of Liberty and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you're looking for a place to talk liberty, guys, if you're looking for a place to talk with like-minded people, if you're looking for a place to share stories about the broken criminal justice system, please come join us in our private Facebook group, the Lions of Liberty Forum. It's our private group, as I said, so you got to be approved to join. So what you can do is go on to Facebook, type Lions of Liberty Forum in that search bar at the top. Our group will come up, click join, and we will get you approved as quickly as we possibly can. As always, thank you everyone for listening again today. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning. <laughs>